Get into the action all summer long. Listen to that. Summer. Woo. Season's over. The, the NHL season's over. The NBA season's over. But there's still lots happening at Sports Interaction, including we got the draft coming up. We got free agency coming up for both of those sports, plus tennis, golf, whatever it is you're into, baseball, all happening right now at sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. You can bet on those things. You can bet on free agency and draft. Exactly. And we're going to actually have to throw a bunch of props up in the Dangles Doozy section as well. Um, and I'll remember, everything's uh, you can do before games, live and play all summer long. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. It's 9 plus please play responsibly welcome to nailing apex everyone i'm tim haraney please head on over to spotify give us a five star rating and a follow same goes with apple Podcasts. write a review let us know how we're doing you can also watch us on youtube as well joining me today talk a little canadian grand prix some formula one we got jesse blake jesse how are you hello i'm good how are you (laughs) yeah hanging in there hanging in there and we also have mr adam wild adam what's what's going on guys Tim, wow. I feel like I, I feel very weird about this. I'm sitting in my basement, and you're in a hotel at the Canadian Grand Prix right now. Like, it's like, oh, this is. I feel so cool, man. Thanks for inviting me on your cool show. <laughs> you know, like, 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 I don't know, man. I don't know if it gets any better than saying, oh yeah, I'm just at the uh, Formula One Grand Prix. Uh, no big deal. The world's just come to Montreal. Question for you guys: Do you like? Being on the road, sleeping in hotels, or do you like being at home, being in your own bed? Ooh. Oh, Jesse, I'm going to let you answer this. I love the events that take place around these big sporting events. So, like, the draft we're going to in Nashville. And I love being there because you'll see all of the media people and you'll get the vibe and then you'll all go to one bar and you all hang out. And I love that aspect of being on the road. It's just seeing all of the people within your industry. So that's the only thing where I'm like, ah, I, I can sacrifice not being home for that kind of stuff. And Adam, what do you say? Well, listen, I, I, uh, my question is always how comfortable is the bed? Because uh, I can sleep anywhere. I can sleep anywhere, man. And I love to travel. I haven't had the chance much because, you know, I was so... Um, I mean, you know, broadcasting, right? You're like every day you're doing a new show. So you oh, don't yeah. get to, you know, when you do, I was doing radio, uh, we don't get to travel that much, but like, I know Jesse and I are going to Nashville, uh, with Steve and a couple of guys at the network, um, at the end of the month for the NHL draft. And that's always a blast. And it's, you know, what's kind of funny, Tim is, is, um, getting, uh, getting a little sense of like Steve and Jesse's daily habits, and like, <laughs> and, and actually having the building, the SDPN building has also been very interesting because like, like, um, uh, just because, you know, it's, 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 it's not your house, but it's sort of like we're the owners of the network. So we kind of have to treat it with re- some respect, which is different sure. from any workplace I've ever been in where you just throw shit around yeah. and, uh, and, and like, you know, and like trying to figure out how to, how to, um, um, uh, but you know, turn on the dishwasher or Steve, like randomly brought in <laughs> fucking apples and bananas. And we're like, Steve, like we're only here three days a week. Like, what do you, yeah. what do you do? And there's like a brown banana just wilting on the countertop. Like, please eat me before I die. Uh, and this, the fridge smells like rotten apples now. So yeah, I, I think a uh, long story short, it's always kind of fun to get a sense of Steve and Jesse, but I am thrilled always to get back home. So if I can get like a weekend away, I'm good. Yeah. But if I was on the road, like you're going to be on the road this summer. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like you're, you got three or four Grand Prix just this in the next couple months, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I got to go. Where are you going to be? Yeah. So we got, uh, we got this one in Canada, then uh, go home for two weeks and then I go to the UK for, for a bit and mm-hmm. hit up some formula Silverstone, races there. Yeah. Silverstone. Yeah. Amazing. And then come back and then back here for about a month. And then I think, uh, then I head down to Texas and then Texas mm-hmm. to Mexico. And wow. then I'm either going to Brazil and then straight to Vegas, or I'm going to Mexico to Toronto, then to Vegas. So wow. Wow. That yeah. Vegas one, that's going to be one of the yeah. biggest Grand Prix ever. Oh, man. Like they're going to do think, it so right. Oh, yeah. I think so. I think it's just going to be a massive, massive party with mm-hmm. a Formula One race in the middle of it. Essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It felt like Miami was like that too a little bit. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, it definitely was. And hopefully you guys get to check that out next year cuz it's uh it's just wild. That. I mean, the race like the Miami race wasn't that good, but like the the stuff that happened off the track or in the paddock is man, it's another world. It's just so different. Like I'd never seen so many 
celebrities or been able to get so close to celebrities in my entire life. It was wild. Absolutely mm-hmm. wild. Tim, what's your favorite part of going to a Grand Prix? Because I've never been to one. Uh, oh. I know, Adam, you've been to Montreal before. Yeah. But like, as a spectator, not as like a media person, but as a spectator, what's Damn. the best thing about being there? You know, like, I'm not going to lie, Jesse. Like, I've never gone to a race as a spectator. I've, I've oh, only wow. ever... I've only ever gone if I was racing or if I was like working um, within the media landscape things. And so, so I've never really gotten that whole experience of like, yeah, I get to go to the race and then I get to go drinking with my friends and then we get to go partying at night and wake up with wicked hangovers and go to a race. (laughs) And like, so I never got to like do any of that. So I have no idea what it's like. I mean, I guess like Adam could probably speak to it more than I could in all honesty. (laughs) I mean, uh, when I went, it was a bachelor party. And, it, you know, as far as bachelor parties go, it was pretty tame. It was 2016. So I think it was Rossberg Hamilton that were oh, yeah. far and away. Oh, yeah. Like they were, they were lapping the field oh, by yeah. that midway point. That, that car was unbelievable. Um, and I think uh, I was watching out for um, some young driver named Max Verstappen that I was a big fan of. Uh, I think he was 17 or something like that, playing yeah. racing for Toro Rosso. That yeah. was it was wild, and I, that was to me the story is just how good he was. Uh, but I think I think going to the race is an experience. I think the part the only issue I have with Jean Drapeau, which is where the the uh, the you know the park that it's in is, is completely surrounded by water, and there's like one way off unless you're swimming. Yeah. Uh, and so you're waiting once the, once the race is over and everybody brings like their case of 24 beers on their back. Like they've got Coors Light and Budweiser and all the other, they've all got, you know, Budweiser backpacks and you fill them up with beer and you bring them in, but then you're hauling those home if you're not yeah. finished them by the end of it. And you're standing in line for that subway for like three and a half, four hours. Like it was crazy. Yep. So that if I could get a helicopter off that, like a rich person, I would be so down. And it's, it's, that's the thing about race days. Like I, I used to go to Watkins Glen all the time for the vintage car races. And I tried to get down there this year, but I think, you know, J- Tim and Jesse know this. Uh, my, my vintage Mustang that I own blew up on the way down and, uh, and it had to be completely rebuilt and is still being rebuilt in Buffalo. And so, you know, but I loved waking up. And I love waking up to that smell of, of motor oil. And I love waking up to the sound of, of really like the, the real engines going by. Yeah. Like it, I know there's a lot of Formula One fans that complain about the fact we're in the hybrid era and the cars don't scream anymore. But I can remember Michael Schumacher, one of his original Jordan cars was at the vintage car race one year. And it was like the star of the show. And we heard it one morning doing warm up laps at 8 a.m. And that was my alarm clock, a little hungover, but it was great. <laughs> very very cool and and so if you do get to go jesse i think the thing you want to do is you want to do it two ways you want to do it the rich guy way and the poor guy way the poor guy way you got to do it with a bunch of people and you go and you get a campsite and you're you're dirty all weekend and you never want to sit on the toilet seat like get used to squatting but it's an amazing experience and you're covered in dirt and you love it and then the rich guy way which is probably out of our price ranges now but what you used to be able to do at formula one weekends is you know i, I know that people spent like serious money but now it's like triple what it used to be. Yeah. And and so you want to like you want to get the pit pass and you want to walk by the cars and go through the paddock and stuff but you know it's just it's in North America the the expense of these pl- tickets are so much that I don't think you can do it the same way in Europe. It's not as bad like outside of Monaco like I think you could do it in Spa pretty cheaply. The yeah. Netherlands Zandvoort's not bad, right? Mm-hmm. Right Tim? Like it's mm-hmm. it's not crazy priced the the way it is in in North America. Yeah, because I would say like my so the like going to going to the British Grand Prix like that that's a big price tag. But like I researched Spa first, and it was pretty reasonable. It was just the dates for me didn't line up trying to get back home for another event that I had to do, so I couldn't go and do it. But yeah, like when you go to like Austria, Hungary, like those types of races are very accessible, and I think actually like as a fan, you probably get a little bit more than like say like a british grand prix where it's yeah. kind of like you have your ticket for that one little space where you know i think you go to like spa and like man you can go anywhere almost like mm-hmm. there's so much wide open territory we can go and watch these cars you know zip around this incredible racetrack so that's a good point that you make i mean here in canada it's been interesting to watch how this race has grown over over the years, because like I, I raced in it, you know, from like 2001 to 2005 and then 
came back a few years later and then it started to kind of like tail off a bit and it was mm. just, you know, the attendance wasn't really there. And then 2014, it started to turn around and started to get more and 15 and 16 and 17 and then 18 and then 19 before like all the big drive to survive boom sort of really hit just before the pandemic, like the race was really starting to come back, like mm. really starting to come back. And the only reason I noticed it was because of how long it took us to get off the island at the end of Sunday. <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah. only reason I noticed, yeah. like, just how big it had gotten because it took us two hours to drive off of the island. I'm like, this is freaking wild, man. Yeah. Like, I don't remember it ever being this busy or this big. And so once that drive to survive sort of hunger kicked in with the with this new fan base and everything, like, last year, man. I'd never seen it this busy. I'd never seen the city this busy. Like, holy hell, guys. Like, there is yeah. so much so much money it brings into the economy, too. Oh, it's like, crazy. It's, crazy. It's so wild. And it's great to see, right? Like, if for me, I guess, because I've been a part of it for just so long that it, to watch it, you know, watch it be really big thing and then kind of step back a bit and then huge thing. It's just been been wild to watch man it really has what's um, it like i think at north american sorry, fans i think would be a little shocked to know that tickets weren't always sold out they weren't yeah. thousands of dollars at, at yeah. every point in its history like the las vegas i've seen some of those packages they're hundreds of thousands of dollars if you want to get yeah. the full billionaire package you know yeah. and and i'm very familiar with that uh the island there and getting off of it because i've been to oceaga and it's the same problem montreal needs to figure that out you know let's get a separate <laughs> entrance off of that island i don't know how they figure it out give me but a it's bridge always please. just a light up it's ridiculous yeah, yeah, but adam yeah. you're about to ask something go ahead well i, I wanted to ask what it's like to drive because you know before every circuit now every formula one team puts out like here's a quote from the driver about that particular thing and yeah. you know the god bless them it's good pr they'll they'll do like well i sure love where are we today i sure love <laughs> abu dhabi it's great uh really warm this time of year like that you know and 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 you know they'll tell you they'll give you a little bit of a sprinkle of like what the tracks actually like but but you know, this is one of the classic Formula One yeah. tracks. It's not to the level that Spa would be. It's not to the level that Monaco would be in terms of uh, grandiosity. But in terms of drivability, at least in the video game, it's the most fun. I, I love yeah. the Canadian Grand Prix. What's it like to actually drive this course, Tim? And 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 what are are, are drivers looking forward to this, or are they kind of like, oh God, it's Canadian Grand Prix. This track's hard, or I know it's going to be a tough weekend. How would you look at it? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, uh, dr driving it is awesome because it's kind of like a go-kart track where like you can really use a lot of the curbs here where in some other racetracks you kind of go to with Formula One, you can't really use the curbing because it'll, you know, it'll, you know, upset the car way too much. Like here you, you actually, you need to really bounce over the curbs to like get the lap time. And you kind of have to have this sequence for some of the corners, like your braking, your turn in, rolling the speed. When do you get back to power? Hitting the curbing just right. As soon as the car lands, you're snapping back to the throttle a bit, making sure the steering is on. So there's so many different sequences for a lot of the corners that are on uh, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve because it's so friggin' fast. Like there mm -hmm. are so many corners here that are just super quick. And I think for the drivers, it's a huge challenge to drive a formula one car here because in some of the turns, like turn three, four, you make a little mistake on your entry. Like you're going to pound the wall. No problems. Mm -hmm. Like there's nowhere for you to go. There's no runoff anywhere. There's concrete wall. Mm -hmm. And same with uh, wall of champions. So the very last chicane at this track, you know, you get that sequence wrong and you're hauling ass in there like mm -hmm. 250 kilometers an hour. And you know, it's, it's tough. If you uh, if you've got it all wrong, man, you're going to be eating concrete. So it's it's a very difficult track, but I think the drivers as a whole and all the drivers I've ever spoken to love it here. They oh, love great. the track. Okay. They love the fans. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the reasons they really love the atmosphere is because the fans are so educated here. Like they like Canadian. Like Canadian. Here's the thing. Like everyone will take a look at the North American market or the USA or whatever, and they'll look at like, hey, you know, ESPN or whoever got. 1.1 million viewers, right? And then, mm -hmm. you know, they'll look at that as a success. And it is because of where it came from. But for Canada, it's like, 
you have to take a look at our population and how many people are actually watching. Like we get a lot of people watching Formula One in this oh, yeah. in this country. It's more than what the states gets. Like it, it's, it's percentage wise, no question. Incredible, yeah. Like, like it's incredible, and the fans and are educated, have, so it's. Awesome. What do you have? You have three, four hundred thousand people at the race, and another yeah. five or six hundred thousand. Um, you know, oh, easy. at. At, at at sorry, watching at home, and at that's home. those are. I'm, I'm being conservative with the numbers yeah. on TSN. Oh, yeah. I know that they they're even up up from that. But you think about that. That's a Canada's got what 36, 37 million people. That's yeah. one in thirty seven people watching something, which is you know a Leafs game on a Tuesday night numbers, which is pretty good. And then uh, and then and then and I'm not and I'm not diminishing like the Leafs are like king when it comes to ratings mm-hmm. and sports in the country. Mm-hmm. That then you know you extrapolate that, multiply that by ten. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's what the American population is. It's ten mm-hmm. times that. So, if you had a tenth of the American population watching any one event, you're a billionaire. <laughs> like yeah. you're, you're making big <laughs> money. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is a it is a a, a, a much uh, revered and 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 exciting race and that sort of thing. And I think, um, yeah, the fans of Montreal are crazy. The, the one thing I want to t- before I forget to tell you guys, can you guess the cost of a weekend pass? That's I was there practice Friday. I was there qualifying Saturday. I was there race Sunday. We did not have pit passes because uh, none of us could fully afford it. It was 2016. We were just trying our best. Um, so how much do you think a weekend pass would have cost with that? And that's without food, drinks, that sort of 2016, thing. 2016, you said? Yeah. Tim, you go ahead. 500. Okay. 500 Jesse? I'll go a little high. 650. 550, Tim. Mm. <laughs> Five fifty, <laughs> probably three grand. Yeah, probably. Oh yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah, yeah, it's gotta oh, yeah. be, man. It's, it's wild. Tim, can I ask you about turn ten in particular? Adam asked oh, yeah. you about the track, but turn oh, yeah. ten, the big, the big loop that everybody knows. You got to really slow down. How Hairpin. slow do you get through that? And then is it just full throttle down that wall? Yeah, so like, it's a great question because I actually like just shot a huge. Uh, piece on this uh mm-hmm. literally breaking down the down the oh, hairpin wow. L- literally okay. man how you like get into <laughs> it get out of it and uh, i got to sit with some drivers and like talk about it because it's a great question because there's so there's so many different types of lines you can actually take through that hairpin like some drivers do like a v where they come in hard on the brakes and they kind of v the corner off and then <laughs> What they're doing is essentially where they're coming in, breaking really, really hard, and then cranking the steering lock on, and then immediately leaving, like unwinding the steering lock so they can get back to full power. And that's the thing with like the hairpin is that you want to make sure that you're getting back to full power as soon as possible because of that long, long straightaway, because you can claw back a lot of time in qualifying, or you can pass a competitor who's in front of you. And when I say like unwind the steering wheel or, you know, loosen the steering lock, I'm, I'm talking about like how much you've turned the steering wheel to get into the corner mm. because the more you turn the wheel on a Formula One car, the slower you go. And so you want to make sure you're trying to turn the wheel as less as possible. And obviously that has to do with the balance of the car as well. And what's the tire telling you? Like, can it do it? And unwinding the wheel and getting back to to full throttle and like using all of your exit, using all of the road, driving the car all the way out towards the wall. And that's another thing about this track is like you have to, you literally have to aim the car at concrete walls and (laughs) hope that, hope for the best sometimes. Like, you know, you're aiming at the wall of champions at 250 kph and like hey did i carry too much speed in here well we're about to find out you know it's like here we go so it's the like it's about a, to tell me yeah, yeah it's like a crazy crazy experience like a crazy thing right and you're trying to override all these things in your brain that are like telling you to stop and you're just like never <laughs> so, um yeah no so it's like yeah the hairpin's a really interesting turn on this track and yeah you know you're right you can gain a ton of time and you can also gain so much in your competitors there it's awesome in the atmosphere like yeah. you're coming into that, you're yeah. coming into that yeah. from literally the woods. So there's like trees, 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 trees. And then all of a sudden you arrive and there's just a mass of humanity looking down on you. And you're just like, oh my God. It's like, and this whole thing just opens up in front of you in a split second. And it went from like a very narrow tunneled vision of trees to like people everywhere. It's 
so incredible, man. I just can't explain it to you better than that. That's the best I got. That's cool. That's really, <laughs> yeah, really cool. So cool. How many people were there when you were racing it, Tim? <laughs> I would say, like, there was a lot. I mean, uh, the attendance has definitely, like I was saying, like, gone up. But I would say 2003, there was probably about 350,000 for the weekend. That's so cool. Yeah. It was a lot because we so used cool. to actually we usually we used to actually get the uh, numbers from the year before. So what we what we used to get we used to get the the sponsored decks from races that we were going to be attending, so we could sell sponsorship on the car. Right, and so the series is or the you know the race circuits would give us you know whatever. I mean, like for the Canadian Grand Prix in two thousand and three, they would give us this huge deck. Um, it, we would probably get it in the fall and then we would start to try and sell when we get to the winter time, but you could see like the demographic, you could see, um, how many people, where are they sitting? What do they buy afterwards? You could see all that stuff. And so it was super, super helpful, Adam. I mean, I, I mean, I, it's much more advanced now, but like yeah. as a driver, as a young driver, who's just trying to make it and sell some sponsorship in this country it was super helpful to get it. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. I think um, one day we're going to have to do an episode, the three of us, on like what it actually takes to be a driver coming up through the ranks and what does That'd that mean cool. going and getting sponsors and benefactors and all that. I yeah. think I think that's a part of the sport that I don't think people fully understand, and I think it is fascinating. Yeah, because like the cost know, of racing is something yeah, people don't consider yeah. because yeah. it's like, and some people don't understand that like. Like I didn't come from like we didn't come from money. Like my family didn't come from money. Like, like it just didn't happen. Like my parents did everything they could to help me get through the sport, but mm-hmm. like it, it was a grind, man. Like we I had to be 18 years old and like go into big corporations and try and convince them why they should like sponsor me, but not to go in there and just say, "Hey, can I have some money so I can go racing?" It was like Hey, this is what your company does. They sell generators. We just had a huge blackout. Okay. We also have teams here that use generators. We also have other sponsors with companies who need generators to power their businesses. So you can do a B2B or a B2C. No problem. I think I've got this solved for you. Wow. And like that's, you have to know that. Like you have to understand what you're selling and you have to understand what the, what the partner or the sponsor needs. And you kind of have to like scratch that itch, you know, and it, you know, you're 18 going into these meetings, man. It's like, that's intense. That's yeah. really intense. Yeah. Yeah. So intense. you're a salesman. You're not a race car driver. <laughs> yeah. You're, yeah. you're a salesman. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Man. And then you're also doing like your own P like I was doing my own PR. I was training myself. Like I had, you know, 30 hours of training a week. I had to do some PR every once in a while, but for the most part, it was always trying to sell sponsorship and train and, and then try to get my ass back in the car. Like, wow, wow. that was it. Yeah, Adam, I'm thinking like if we need to fill up the sales staff, yeah. we can just go look at race car drivers. You yeah. know, yeah. people who, who need to go chase just down get Tim out there. He's got car. years of experience. Apparently, we should <laughs> come up with our VP of sales, Christina. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I wanted to ask you about a couple of things, Tim, because like since we're here, since we're all here. Oh, yeah. There was a, uh, you know, everything in Formula One is is blown out of proportion, which is what I love about the sport. I'm sure the drivers get tired of it, but I love sports drama. It's my favorite thing. It's why I'm a Leafs fan. I love drama. I live for it. Um, and, you know, I love Vanderpump Rules, too. Really love drama. Like, right into it. So tell me, tell me about this George Russell quote. He said something about, he alluded to the fact that most drivers on the course have spatial awareness. Now, yes. now, Jesse's a Mercedes fan, so whatever he says here, you can't trust. Um, <laughs> oh, God. But, but he said there are about three guys who have no idea. Now, that has led to the internet taking stuff from his Williams days and supercutting all the crashes he was in, including the one with Valtteri Bottas at, I think it was in Belgium. Um, oh, my God. Where they that gave each Ebola. other the finger. Oh, it was oh, evil. Oh, my that was God. Evil. That was a that was so, a horrible crash. That was a cr- terrible crash. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question to you is: uh, Is he right? And if there are three drivers that don't have the spatial awareness that perhaps the elite drivers, the seventeen of twenty elite drivers do, who are they? That's a great question. I wonder, like, because I'm trying to think, like, who the hell is he alluding to? Because, like, 
Like you don't want to count the rookies in that, right? Because they're rookies. Yeah, as okay. soon as you said like spatial awareness, I immediately thought of like Bottas and Russell like colliding and taking each other out and whatever it was. It was like either 2020 or 2021. I forget what the which year yeah. it was, but like ridiculous that, that ridiculous that George is saying that really is. And <laughs> yeah. I spatial awareness for drivers in F1 right now, and who could they be? Oh, like if Mazepin man. was still racing for Haas, you, you'd know that you knew it was him, right? Like, it, you know, that that's one right. thing that and no, not would, to take pot shots at the guy. I do feel yeah, bad for. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I would say like it, it's I, I would say like maybe none of them simply because of the amount of like information that is coming at these drivers is mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Like. These guys are like doing systems checks. They're like having to memorize hundreds of pages of data on a steering wheel and then getting a call from your engineering telling you what to switch the the engine mode to. And you're having to do that while while either like qualifying or like racing somebody. And like that requires a piece of capacity of brain to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. I honestly don't think any of these drivers like have that issue just because I don't want to, you know, the, the IndyCar drivers are incredible. Formula One drivers are incredible. They're both in, incredible drivers. NASCAR drivers are incredible at what they do. You know, WAC drivers are incredible. Rally drivers are probably, in my opinion, the greatest of all time. MotoGP oh, yeah. riders are yeah. insanely, like, just incredibly talented. Yeah. Incredibly talented. And so, like, I would never sit there and say that, like, your competitors have issues of spatial awareness i don't so agree I, with I, that i, I figured I that might be the, the case and this is why i wanted to follow it up is he fucking with the rest of the field is he trying to mess with people yeah for sure i think it's a little it's a little offside by george because it's such a it's a fraternity right yeah. there's only 20 spots in the entire world and it is so difficult to become an f1 driver and those guys should be sticking together no matter what happens you know you're all competitors against each other but when you have like the media talking to you and asking you these kind of questions about like who's the weakest driver and all those things it's up to these guys to stick together as this core 20 because they only have each other even though they're competitors and for George to say that, that there's a couple of drivers out there, I don't really like it. It, it sticks, you know? It, it sticks that he's, that he's uh, going this route with his quote. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, uh, Adam, do you remember like where, when he, when he said it? Like it was like two, it was a day ago. It was like okay. a day or two ago. It wasn't long. And he's had quite the run with the press because, you know, the Verstappen yeah. stuff. And yeah. he actually played that off quite well um, when, when Max was taking shots at him after, okay. I think, a couple of Grand Prix ago. Um, but, you know, I, he's, George is a very opinionated guy as it is, but he delivers it in such a British way that <laughs> I think a lot of people take it as a, um, right. oh, he's just, you know, oh, that's George. But it's like, he really means it. Like there's not, uh, he doesn't, that, that guy, I, I don't think George is, I'm sure he laughs and stuff, but he's not like a huge joker. Like he's not Daniel Ricardo. Like, right. you know, he's, he's George Russell. He's serious and well-dressed and type A and that's who he is. And I think it, it's a, uh, uh, okay. I just thought it was a very bold quote coming from him. And I, I, I also like the fact for George that he's feeling himself because last year at Mercedes was really hard. And, you know, he did outscore Lewis, but it's still Lewis Hamilton. Like, no, there's no question about who's the better driver here. Um, and at least not for me. Um, but it means he feels confident in his spot at that team, which is pretty hard considering that he's driving next to the greatest, in my opinion, Formula One driver of all time. I got a question for you guys. Cause like I took, okay. So I did this thing for, uh, for TSN and it was essentially what you did was, you know, in boxing when they have pound for pound where it's like yeah. every fighter weighed the same, who's the best fighter in the world. Okay. So okay. took that idea and I apply it to racing <laughs> me and our producer. And so basically it's like for formula one, and we'll only use the top 10 drivers or we'll, mm-hmm. we'll only use 10 drivers. I'm not going to say top 10. Mm-hmm. We'll use only 10 drivers. Okay. So it's, I don't want to, I'll start with you, Jesse. Okay. So every driver in formula one, exact same car, exact same machinery, right. everything, the exact same basing it off of the seven, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Seven races we've seen so far this season. Okay. You got to base mm-hmm. it off of that. You're not, we're not going back into the past. Mm-hmm. We're we're not looking at records. We're not looking at statistics. We're looking at just the last 
Seven races. Who's your top 10? Top 10. Top 10 drivers. They're all in the same... They're all, all the in the car. same car. Okay. Starting from 10? Starting so, from, you can go, yeah, you can go 10, oh, go 10 down to one. Where's my phone? I'm just gotta, I, I'd I have to, do, I'd have to start from the top and work back. Like the best one? <laughs> yeah, I'd have to start from one and do then it. work down. Yeah, I'd do start, I'm going to start with Lewis. I think it's Lewis Verstappen, and you can switch them in whatever you order you want. Uh, Alonzo. Uh, Four would be oh gosh, um, per no not Perez. Let's not do Perez. not per. Let's do George. Mm-hmm. George has been impressive, especially because coming from Williams to the Mercedes, you see that he the talent is there. So I'll go with George after Alonso, and then um, S- Perez. Signs Leclerc, mm-hmm. uh, Gasly, Norris. How many is that? <laughs> you got to keep track. I'm not you counting. Got, is that, uh, is that one, two. Hold on. I got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You got one more. Nine. Uh, Stroll. Stroll. That Stroll would be 10. 10. So okay. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> that is hard. 10 is hard. 10 is yeah. hard. I'm, okay. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to give you mine. I think it, I'm going to work backwards. I think what Alex Albon has done with this Williams car. And it's a, it's a better car than we've seen in what? Five years from Williams. Oh, this is interesting. Right. Okay. Like that, yeah, 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 the fact, he's put that thing in the points and like, yeah. listen, it's, it's got speed, but like in a, in a circuit like Montreal, it's where still speed, a, yeah, it's still a crap wagon. Like it's, it, yeah, it, it's, good. it's a, it's a heaving beast. Like it yeah. does. It does. But the balance Top ten, Alexander Albon for sure. That guy should be at one of the top teams. It's it, and he, you know, he's oh. already done it. But like, he's so much better than he even used to be. It's it's crazy. I'm a big Albon guy. Like I All really right. am. Respect. Really, you know, shocked by mm-hmm. him uh, and sometimes and how good he is. I think because I've been disappointed in his performance, I'm going to put him here. But I think he's better than this. It's Carlos Sainz. Uh, Ferrari's had a disappointing year, but I'll put him at ninth because this car, this Ferrari car is actually good, but him and Charles have been screwing it up. Uh, They've had their opportunities. There's no reason Ferrari needs to be this bad, but driver error has, has really plagued them this year. Last year, it was a strategy to me this year. It's, it's driver error. So number eight, I'm doing that. Um, Number seven. um, I I think he's capable of more of this as well. And we're going to see how this car unfolds. Um. Uh. Yeah. Actually, you know what? No. Number seven. I'm going to give to Lando Norris as well. Norris, who okay. also drives it. You know, and I love McLaren, so it's. A, I'm a little bit biased, but um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a hunk of crap. I guess we're getting some upgrades. Is it this weekend for McLaren? You, there should be big upgrades coming from McLaren. I was told either Austria or Hungary. So either next race or the race after. Okay. Um. I love the Austrian race. By the way, it's my favorite. Oh, um. Yeah, it's the best. That Red oh, Bull ring so is sick. But yeah, I think. Lando, I mean, he, the thing about Lando is that um, we know he's a great driver. Like, there's a reason McLaren was him and Carlos. The, and this is why I like Carlos a lot. When they were teamed up at McLaren, they finished third in the in the drivers' championship a couple years ago. It's not that long ago. Um, so I think he's done a, the, his best with the bad situation. Qualifying third is great. I heard you guys making fun of me with that wing damage right off the top. Uh, I was like, oh, I was like, I, I was so excited. I was so excited. I'm watching. I'm looking at my wife Natalie, and I'm like, all right, Lando's in third. Like, if he plays this right, maybe he finishes eighth or ninth. We're in the points. Like, let's go. And then first, oh, we got to replace the wing. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> they don't have a car to recover from that. Uh, the next one I would say is is Esteban Ocon. I think. Oh, nice. There's a guy that like I, I don't you think it's funny that when when Force India went under and they switched up the drivers because it was Perez and Akon that Akon went an entire year without racing. Oh, it's a guy that really? had over 100 points. Like he's a good. He's always been good on bad teams, and uh, he's on a good team. And you know they're not a great team, but they're a very good team. Yeah. Um, and I think had there not been the crash between him and Gasly. Um, earlier this year where they were going to finish like sixth and seventh or whatever it was, uh, whatever the Alpine CEO came out and said about the team's underperformance, yep. whatever, we're not having those discussions. We're talking about those guys, you know, challenging, uh, probably challenging uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, yep. and um, and uh, 
Aston, Aston Martin, Martin for, yeah. a four, you know, second, third, and fourth, right? Yeah. Like, and they still should, but they're just, it's going to take them some time to catch up. Uh, the next on my list would be Lance Stroll, who, um, you know, again, and there's another guy that like, you know, played for or raced for some bad teams, but still had some good results. Like Williams wasn't good when he was there. Uh, he still managed to do something with the car. Um, and, and, you know, this year with Aston Martin, what's been fascinating to me is the, the discussion around Lance, which is, um, well, can he keep up with Fernando? Is, you know, is Lawrence going to have to replace his own son? Yeah. And we forget that eight weeks ago, the guy broke, broke, broke both of his wrists and he's racing a Formula One car. Like that first race alone, where he's in the top 10, you know, Alonso's third, he's eighth. And he's, he's doing it with two broken wrists. He should be on everybody's top 10 list for that. And then uh, I think on top of that, you know, last weekend where he got in front of Fernando and then the, you know, Fernando called, don't worry, tell Lance not to worry. I'm not coming for him. You know, I, I think I think Lance Stroll's a better driver. Uh, people count him up because his dad owns the team. But he's actually like, yeah, sure. Okay, so his dad owns the team and, and that's why he races for Aston Martin. But I still think Lance Stroll would be a Formula One driver. Uh, that's the point, right? And I, I actually think he's one of the better ones. Uh, I don't even know where that puts me. You got um, four. So you're now the next one would be number four. Number four. Okay. So I'm going to make this real easy. Uh, it's going to be, uh, uh, oh man, I, I forgot about Sergio. Poor guy deserves better than this, but I'm going to say in this order, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, and Max Verstappen. Okay, and Max... Max Russell. really is walking on water right now. Did you leave Leclerc off of your list? Oh, yeah. He's been terrible. That's not – he's not, unacceptable. <laughs> unacceptable. Because here's the thing. I'm rating it on like – listen, has Leclerc been good at moments? For sure. <laughs> but we're talking about levels of disappointment. That is – is he the most disappointing driver on the grid? So okay, far? Tim. Tim, I want to hear your list. Oh, <laughs> Adam was, on a, Adam, Adam was on Adam a heater was, there. Adam's list is absurd. <laughs> Bring it on. Okay, okay, okay. All right, here's what I got. <clears throat> I've got, uh, I, okay, this is my, and, I, and, and like random people have been sliding into my DMs giving me shit. Stop sliding into my DMs. Like, <laughs> it's creepy. Don't do it. It's weird. Okay. If you got a problem with my list, just tweet at me. Like, come on. All right, number 10, Lance Stroll. Mm. I got Lance Stroll at 10. Here's why. Monaco didn't go very well. Okay, and I, I, I dinged him a lot for, for that one. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he did have issues in qualifying when in Monaco, so that did set him back a bit as well. Recovered well in Spain. Uh, and then when I look at it as a whole, hasn't had enough time in the car to get the confidence to get this thing up to speed. Um, would he have been on Fernando Alonso's pace um right out of testing if he had have gotten a full round of testing yes i think he would have but he's now just starting to catch up with fernando number nine i put yuki sonoda Mm. okay and here's why and so my list is based off of the past seven races and that is it i didn't base this off of any other year any other season statistics (laughs) nothing Yuki Sonoda is driving the hell out of that car, which is not good at all. That car is horrible. And Yuki's been like probably taking it to levels it shouldn't be. Like it shouldn't be anywhere near battling for points, right? Like, and he's gotten it there. Uh, Lando Norris had an eighth, Adam, so you'll be happy. About that. Go Lando. Uh, same My same boy. thing with same thing with Yuki, though. Like the, the reason I say Lando is because like the car is not good. It's it's not. It's in he's been able to wrestle some pretty impressive performances out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Charles Leclerc is in seventh. I have Esteban Ocon in sixth. And then I have Carlos Sainz in fifth. And the reason I put Sainz ahead of Leclerc, similar to, to Adam, like he, Charles hasn't been good in racecraft this year. He just, he but hasn't. he made your list. He did make my list for sure. <laughs> but, but I'd the, like someone next to you. <laughs> the, the, you know, like, so the reason, the reason why he, and I actually see why Adam didn't put him in. Like, I get it. Like, I think the only reason he made it in for me is because of his qualifying performances. Like over mm. one lap, he's been dynamite. But yeah. putting the entire race together, I know some races aren't his fault, but at the same time, there are races and there are qualifying sessions that are his fault. And one of those would have been Monaco. So uh, George Russell, fourth. Mm. And I would have put George higher, Jesse. I would have put George, like I would have put George ahead of Lewis if it hadn't have been for... Uh, Spain, Be- only because uh-huh. George has been really impressive in not great 
machinery in the in the W13, the W14 just hasn't been a good car. And I think Lewis has got himself nothing something now and I have a feeling we're going to see like more really impressive things from from Lewis moving forward. And I, I have Lewis in third and then I have Fernando Alonso in second. The reason I put Alonso in second 40, 41 years old, or was he 42? I can't, I always messes, I always mess. I think he's 41. I'll look it up. Yeah. Cause like, so Alonzo, obviously an older driver doing impressive things. I think this is the best that Fernando has ever been in all honesty, like in Formula One ever. I I really do. Like the Aston Martin car is really good. I just Mm -hmm. think Alonzo makes it even better. Like he, I think he drives like above the car. If that makes any sense, like he takes the car to another sort of level that it probably shouldn't be at, but mm-hmm. it is because he's just so friggin' good. He's dialed. And so that's why, yeah, I just think he's just so dialed in right now. It's a great word. Um, and then first, I got Max Verstappen, and obviously, I have Max at first because well, I don't even think we're seeing the best of Max just yet. We got a glimpse of it in Monaco qualifying, third sector. Like, holy hell, mm-hmm. he was going to roll that thing into a ball or get pole. Like, it was it was incredible. That was just a level of driving that I, I don't think we'll – I don't think we've ever seen a third sector at Monaco quite that good before. It was that good. Like, he was – Yeah, I, I watched the overlays of the two cars and Max just – the way he gains time every time there's a little turn and then – because it's not just the Red Bull in straight lines. Yeah. It's his driving ability and every yeah. little inch of the racetrack, he's able to dial back – tenths of seconds from his opponents yeah. and it all adds up and he's just a fantastic driver and he's he's really it's amazing to watch because he's coming into like his prime yeah. like it, mm-hmm. we're not even at peak max verstappen yet and he's only getting better and it's incredible yeah. to watch and i left sergio perez out of my uh, you did too top 10 and I, I got a lot of hell for it too but here's like here's why like if we look at Miami, and I always use Miami because that's the turning point in this whole thing for Sergio, I think. You've got a guy who was on, you know, he was on the front row. He's on pole, and then Max Verstappen, you know, he's battling him for a championship. I think, I can't remember what the points spread was between the two of them, but it was super close. Mm-hmm. It was so close that if Sergio had have won the race, he probably would have taken over the lead in the championship standings. But Max is starting, like, whatever it was, P9. Alternate strategies... And I would say, arguably, Sergio was on the better tire strategy for that whole race. But Max was like, understood the tire. He was brilliant in Miami. And that was a dominant win. That was Mm. just like, that was just peak Max Verstappen. And then we get to Monaco, the crash that he has in Q1. And it's unacceptable. Like, how do you crash? How do you crash in Q1 in the first turn? Like, This guy's got so much experience in Monaco. Think about it. Like, he's one of the most experienced drivers on the grid right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what Monaco is. It's all about experience. You need experience to do well there. I don't care how good you are. I don't even care if you're a rookie and you're really good. You still need the experience to excel at that track in a Formula One car. And then we get to Spain. And that was a shocking performance. Like It was. P, what would it, he was like P4 or something like that. Like, that's a car that should have been P2. Really should. Easily. Like he he could like if that was Max driving from where Sergio started that race from, it's P one. So what what is it? Like what is it with, with Sergio that, that where that happened? Is it a talent gap? Is it a focus thing? What is it that you know you, you look at Sergio's performances? What happened? Because there were a lot of people making jokes yeah. like, listen, if Max Verstappen's only um competition is Sergio Perez, is he really that good? Because Sergio could beat him. Right. There was that chat happening. What happened? You know, uh, what happened there? It's interesting to hear like from Christian Horner at the end of the Spanish Grand Prix. And it's kind of like, okay, so the pressure is off of Sergio. Now we're probably going to get some, you know, great performances. And obviously I'm paraphrasing what he had said, but essentially that's in and around what he had said. So when you hear something like that, I assume that it is the pressure. It's the pressure of being maybe that close in a championship and knowing that you have the equipment that can win a championship and also at the same time knowing who your teammate is, who is Max Verstappen, and you've got to try and take this guy down. I would say if this was if we were doing this pound for pound list heading into Miami, Sergio would have been like 
in my top, like top five, no questions mm. asked. None. And I actually thought, and I said it on this podcast, he had a chance at maybe getting a, a win, at winning this championship this season. And I did say that. And I just think that the, the, the pressure and the lack of consistency is what's really held him back. And I think when you're battling a driver like Max Verstappen, you need to have that consistency. I mean, do you guys remember the, you guys remember 2016, the Hamilton Rosberg um, yeah. clash? That, mm-hmm. that is like where you've got an extremely talented teammate. And the other one is having to extract the performance from how they engineer the car and keeping that consistent so you can keep the pace or be mm-hmm. just a little bit better. And I think like for those two, I use them as an example because Lewis is like a generational talent. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like dismiss anything that Nico Rosberg has done, but I don't quite put him in a generational level did he win a world championship yes he did is he talented yes he is but i think he's talented in different areas and i think he used that to his ability to win that championship and have that consistency that i speak of i think for sergio just just not there right now is daniel ricardo a real threat to take the seat or are those just rumors because people love danny yeah i think they are that's a great question i mean i i Spoke with him in Miami, and it's interesting because, like, you guys remember, like, we, we did the TikTok of um, uh, Nick DeVries potentially being out of his ride at um, Alpha Tower. And, you know, he simply just said, Look, I'm not going backwards. Like, mm-hmm. the next team I drive for is going to be a front running team. And I understood that. I'm like, Look, I get that for sure, but there's not that many seats available. And at mm-hmm. the end of the day, I don't think the team really knows what his form is. And so mm-hmm. once we get to the end of the British Grand Prix, uh, Daniel Ricciardo is going to get a uh, tire test in the RB19. And I think that's going to give Red Bull um, some time to evaluate where he's at and where he's at with his performances and see where he lies. But I don't I don't see him replacing Sergio. I mean, the, the one thing I'd look at, and, it, you know, Adam, it's like, the sponsorship side of things, right? Like Sergio, when he's on, he's on. He's an incredible driver and he's been a good number two driver and he's got some backing too, right? Like he's got great backers. Great backing. Yeah. And that's like, I don't know how you just kind of let a driver like that go. Just, you know, like swap him out, like swap, swap Daniel Ricardo in and, and Sergio out. So I don't, I don't see it happening. I see Sergio finishing it out at Red Bull for sure. Yeah. I don't know. He's going to be interesting. Do you think that, that, you know, obviously I think so it's interesting listening to, you know, Helmut Marco speak versus Christian Horner speaking. Cause they talked to Christian and he's like, let he's about, and he was being facetious. He's like, ah, he's about 10 minutes away from being ready. Game came in a little skinny or whatever. And then, you know, Helmut Marco, who was a part of, and, and fostered the, the Red Bull young drivers program for which, you know, Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen and uh, Daniel Ricardo and Daniel Kvyat and all these other drivers that, you know, raced for them, Alex Albon. Um, you know, he's headed up that program for years and, you know, Daniel's one of his guys and he said, well, I don't know what happened to his competitive spirit. Hmm. (laughs) And now I wondered if that was getting, if that was him trying to get under Daniel's skin in the press and being like, you know, you, I want you to push harder. Uh, I don't think anybody could, could, could convince me that Daniel Ricardo has lost his competitive edge. I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think he can be depressed. Uh, I think you can have be in a tough situation and hate and hate driving for the team you're driving for. We all have worked for companies that we haven't liked working for. Um, but I'm just, you know, do you see him on the grid again? Or like, you know, because everybody's talking about 2026 already. To me, that's a long way away. People are talking about Team Audi, like, oh, Yuki could be up for that or this or whatever. And it's like, man, that is a long, long haul. Yeah, um, it's like, what's his shelf life? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, He's what- in his 30s. Yeah, like I don't know. I don't I don't see that happening. I, I I think if he's not I think if he's not in a competitive ride by next season, I, I think that's it. That that's my opinion anyways. I mean, who knows what he's thinking, right? Like no none of us know. But 
from an outsider's perspective and being out of the race car for that long, it's never good. Like mm. you had mentioned Esteban Ocon being out for a year. And that's a really good example because, and same with Fernando Alonso, right? They, they were both out for, yeah. you know, Fernando was out for two and then Ocon out for one. But coming back in, you spend that time getting back up to speed. Like you're not, you're not right back up to speed. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the team no. is actually losing performance because of that. Cause they're waiting for you to like get back up to speed so you can get on the car's level. So you can then tell them, this is what I need from this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, that takes that, that takes a long time. It's not, that's not like, like a couple of days of testing or a couple of weeks of test. That's like months to build the mm-hmm. confidence, to remember everything, to fine tune yourself again. And like, I just, I, I, I think being out for, for two years is, is a little bit too long. And I say Fernando Alonso, because I think he's the exception to the rule. I but mean, he's, he's generational. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I, and, yes. I, and I'm not saying that, you know, Dan Ricardo is a bad driver. It's not what I'm saying. He's extremely talented. And I think, I think he could have been a world champion. And I also think that if he were given the proper opportunity, I think, and he was on form, I think he could battle for a world championship for sure. hundred percent. Can I perfect. say the word? IndyCar? Oh, that'd be awesome. Is that a possibility IndyCar. for Dan- Daniel Ricardo? I'd <laughs> no, love to never, see it. Yeah, for sure. Like he's never like he's never showed he's never showed a real interest in it. And I know like he's always said in the past, and again I'm paraphrasing here, but he's always said in the past it's like I don't think he's a big fan of the ovals and mm. that type of racing. And I can see that. But the funny thing is, Jesse, is like all, all the drive and you guys are gonna talk to Roman Grosjean about this. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things with, like, the drivers that leave Formula One and they're like, yeah, I'm just going to go to IndyCar and I'll do the road and street courses and it'll be great. And then they get to the 500 and they see, like, oh, wow, this is a thing. And they're like, oh, wow, this takes a lot of skill. Like, oh, this and no is power ch- steering. Yeah. Like, and they're like, oh, this is a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Then the wheels start to, like, maybe I want to do a full season of IndyCar. And then <laughs> Grosjean, like, goes and does it. He's hooked. Guy's hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'd love to, I mean, we'd love to see Daniel Ricardo in a formula one car again. To me, hostel makes the most sense. I don't, you know, I know they were interested in that and he doesn't want to play or race for a, a, a non front running car, but I mean, they, ha- I don't think they've had the performance they've wanted to this year, especially for Magnuson. And you wonder, you know, Gunther was interested. You wonder, and, and, you know, Daniel's always wanted to race for Ferrari apparently, at least it's a Ferrari engine. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> hey, did you? Oh, you saw Gunther um, on uh, Wednesday when he was at Habs practice, right? Yeah, it was in the. J- oh, I didn't yeah. know. Was he a goalie at some point? Yeah, like, what is this? <laughs> I had no idea. Played, he, could, he could skate. He went out and played net. I don't know who um, he stopped. He stopped one of the Canadians' players, and then another one of them scored on him, and then he stopped. Uh, he stopped the uh, F1 Grand Prix mascot, the the head, the, the groundhog, mm-hmm. uh, and then Yuppie scored on him. <laughs> <laughs> Which but is like, amazing. like legit, he was trying. Like Gunther was like trying to stop these pucks. Wow! Because right? like, like he's a huge hockey fan. Gunther is so he's um whenever he's not like racing or watching racing or being a part of he's he's watching hockey like that's what he that's one of his like pastimes right like his hobbies i guess you would call it yeah yeah it's hockey he's a huge ice hockey fan he says so i I always knew i liked but man (laughs) seeing him in like a montreal canadians like goalie uniform that was sensational so, so Tim, before we get to the Roman Groshan interview, uh, tell us what you're up to this weekend. People following you and that sort of thing. Like, what are we going to see? Absolutely. So, going to try and get to as much social media stuff as I can. Uh, it's it is a challenge. I'm not going to lie to everyone because it's like I'm up against it all weekend long, where I'm doing a massive amount of interviews, like interviewing drivers and trying to generate that content, helping produce a little bit more content and stuff like that. But we'll have the podcast on Sunday uh, following the race. It'll be Sunday late evening, so you'll probably get it Monday morning. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've, I always like uh, hearing, you know, I always put out those posts on Twitter, like, you know, who do you think is going to qualify? You know, one, two, three, who's going to win? One, two, three. I'm actually legitimately interested in what people 
what their thoughts are on that. Like, I want to know what people think. Like, who do they see getting pulled? Who do they see second? Who do they see third? I love that stuff. I really do. So, yeah, when I post that, please respond to it. It's awesome. Um, guys, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks very much for doing this. I always have a great time when you guys come on, right? Like, it's just... <laughs> Like an hour I'll goes by. I'm honored it. to be on this with you. Yeah, you we know, love you're coming there, everybody. living your fancy life, hotel to hotel, <laughs> and we're just the slums at home <laughs> joining you. Fancy <laughs> stuff. Um, guys, thanks again. Uh, Going to throw to Adam Wilde's interview with Roman Grosjean. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, welcoming Roman Grosjean back to SDPN and nailing the Apex. Uh, Roman, thank you so much for, for making the... Uh, for taking the time, uh, obviously, we've got the Indy coming up in Toronto. I want to talk about that. The Canadian Grand Prix is this weekend for Formula One, and I do want to ask you about that. But first, I think, how are you? How are things going? It's It's been a really competitive year for you. It's been great. It's been awesome. Excited to to be racing at the highest level and, and doing great. Uh, you know, I think uh, we've been very competitive everywhere, especially on street course. Uh, Toronto should be very good to us. Uh, you know, I was watching your YouTube channel, and it's great, by the way. I love that you're doing this. Um, I, I and you know, you were talking about some of, some of the differences, and people always ask you about the differences between Formula One and Indy. And one of the first things you talk about is the power steering, uh, and the fact that you know the the uh, Formula One's all about G-force. Indy car is all about kind of controlling your steering wheel, getting getting to the right spot. So, are you are you more like summer bod jacked than you've ever been before? Yeah, I had to. Uh, I had to. I uh, the first time I jumped in the car, I couldn't turn the steering within high speed corners. I was like, I had to lift off the throttle. I was like, that's bad. That's not gonna go good good with me. So went back to the gym, worked hard, uh, especially through the winter. Then the season keeps going, and then you kind of lose a little bit of your muscles, but mm-hmm. you get the specific one for racing. So you know, uh, it's still very tough. It's still challenging. I love the the fact that we finished the race and we're completely exhausted. And I love that because I think you've given it, given it all and, and then you're ready for a good burger. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to say, what do you have directly after the race to kind of, because I know you guys lose, what, 10 to 12 pounds every single race? We lose a lot of water, uh, but not, you know, it's just water. It's so hot in the car that, uh, that you just lose a lot of water. Uh, but yeah, you normally drink uh, quite a lot after it and, um, you know, when we're in Wisconsin, I, I go for brats, uh, whatever else, normally go for a burger. And, uh, <laughs> what's on your burger? What's your, what's your burger, uh, toppings? Uh, man, easy. Just a, a lot of meat, uh, good meat, bit of cheese, onion, tomato, bit of ketchup, nothing crazy. Perfect. <laughs> now, um, when the, uh, the, the Canadian Grand Prix is this weekend, it's in Montreal. And I, I want to quickly ask you about it. You've raced it a bunch of times, and obviously it's a big deal in Canada, just like the Honda Indy is in, in Toronto. Montreal is obviously a Formula One classic course. What do you remember about that course? And and for, for those of us who dream about being drivers like you, um, what were the types of things that you needed to prepare for going into that weekend? It was awesome. I love going to Montreal. Um, I, uh, I went last year for Formula One. Uh, I'm excited. This year, you know, that to, to be able to watch the race. Um, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I wish IndyCar was racing in Montreal and Toronto, the two. I think it would be a perfect combo. Uh, I would love to go there. It's a, it's a very tough racetrack because, you know, most of the year, it's it's in the winter, it's like a cross-country ski track. Yes. In the summer, you can cycle or use your, you know, go uh, running on it. Uh, and then you got Formula One, and it's super dusty, and it's uh, it's super slippery, and then it gets better through the weekend. But uh, hey, man, I, I need to have a word with IndyCar so we can come and race more. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I mean, you know, with Honda, uh, Honda Indy, uh, it's it, you know it's the middle of July. It is hot, really hot in Toronto, um, and it is a road course. Uh, what do you think about? Why do you think that you guys have found so much success with road courses this year? Uh, I think setup-wise, we've been very good. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've been very, very good on every racetrack. Honestly, uh, Indy 500, we still have a bit of work to do, uh, but everywhere else, we've been, we've been up there. So, I think we're going to be good in Toronto. I think we're going to be good at a lot of other places. Um, I'm just excited for the season generally. I'm just excited to jump back in the car and and try to win races. That's all I like doing. And, uh, you know, if we could have more races, including Montreal, then uh, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd be really good. Now, the Honda Indy takes place in Toronto at Exhibition Place, July 14th to 16th. Kins under 12 with an adult with a ticket. Get in uh, for free. Uh, your Ontario Honda dealers present Honda Fan Friday. There's a Make-A-Wish uh, Canada offer as well. And there are single day and weekend passes available. Roman, 
the Honda Indy was the first race I ever went to. Um, and it's kind of the thing that set the tone and, and made me into an auto racing fan. And I was a big Paul Tracy and Alex Tagliani and these Canadian drivers that, you know, you could cheer for. And then at the same time, Jacques Villeneuve was winning, uh, you know, the Formula One titles with Williams. Um, what was your first race? Can you remember it? Like your first professional race that you went to with your family? Monaco 98. You went to Monaco? On, 98 for, as on a kid. Thursday. So I went for the free practice. I remember uh, being in front of the toilet and David Coulter was there and he was queuing behind me. So I gave him, you know, priority to go to the toilets. Um, <laughs> I, had a, I had an autograph from Jack Villeneuve in my bedroom because uh, wow. he, he used to go to Villa. It's a ski resort in Switzerland. And my family is from, from there. So my grandmother, she was at a restaurant and who was there. So she went to ask a, an autograph for me, uh, which was very kind and very cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's the first time I went to a racetrack and, and loved it and uh, made my life out of it. That Yeah, no kidding. And you got to race that track, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah, I got to race a lot of tracks and I love it. It's just, uh, it's just the best job you could, uh, you could hope for. Well, listen, uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk to the Phoenix. Uh, thanks so much for, for taking the time today. Um, and we are, uh, we're rooting you on in, in July here in Toronto. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you very much. And I'm excited to come and, uh, and have some fun in Canada. Thanks, Ramon. <laughs>